0: Joe's late. Raise your hand if you're surprised. For business owners, by business owners, this is the Primed Income Podcast.
1: Oh, that's Joe? Yeah, sorry. What the hell happened to you? What the hell happened to yeah. you, old man?
2: <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and get things kicked off, Joe. Yeah, let's do it. Bring bring us in tell us how you and James got acquainted how far back does this go apparently it sounds like 30 pounds and
1: some whiskers well and in, in and out of 30 pounds a hundred pounds between for me and some obvious age from both of us <laughs> but uh, we were both younger I was prettier a lot yes you were prettier but I was handsome <laughs> <laughs> i'd say right around 20 years um yeah we we had this legendary name around the office mike diamond and they were the big they were one of they were they were our big guy right that was our big uh, client over in los angeles so here comes our big day and i don't know maybe i was a couple of months into being there and they were You know they had been clients for a couple years, and so they walk in uh, just after we had moved into the new property, and so it was still pretty messy out there. James, you probably remember that first time going out there. I didn't know who they were. I just saw Mike Diamond, kind of a rough dude, just grizzled, hadn't shaved, and you know who I think that was just his common look, unshaven. Here comes this character behind him. Know who the hell that was? And that was it that year. That was just the two of them. Turns out the two of us were the backbones behind the company. I dropped him off that night, Drop them both off that night and go end up meeting with James the next morning. We've been friends ever since. I mean, I actually liked him and he actually liked me and we all know that that's incredibly uncommon.
0: For up to four. <laughs> four people that liked him.
1: Yeah. 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 I don't know who the other three were, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, At that point, uh, we just, I mean, we hit it off and the next thing you know, we would talk about something and then like a laser, it would be off to the races. And, you know, uh, when I would make a phone call to figure out what we were doing and how much money and we had a plan, you know, James had a plan of we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, uh, shit back then, there were still such a thing as the yellow pages and they kept telling me uh, about how much money they had to spend in the Yellow Pages. It was way, way more than they had to spend on radio or anything else. And uh, I forget, he just he was like, man, I just, you know, I'm slowly trying to get rid of the Yellow Pages, but we have an old guy here with us that, you know, he just convinced you got to be, and then if you're going to be in this book, you got to be in all these different books and all this. And James knew more about Yellow Pages probably than the company itself. You know, um, he is an expert at understanding systems and he, he doesn't skip the fine print ever because the fine prints were the details and you can win. Right. So that's, that's always kind of been James's thing. If you have fine print, I'm going to find it, figure it out, and I'm going to win inside the fine print. And he's always done that. Just that's, uh, and it's, it's an expert move. It's, it's, it requires patience and diligence and the ability to think really just on a high level. And uh, so he saw how the guy was doing. And so we slowly was tapering year after year into the, you know, Yellow Pages budget and handing it over to our radio budget. And then um, one year, I don't know whatever got into their heads, but they decided to, well, no. Yeah, they decided to bring in the guy who was kind of one of the best, who was about one hundred and seventy two years old at that time. He's a good guy, though. See, and he, he was did, a nice guy. He just
0: stay in his lane, but he, he was a really smart, really good guy. Learned yeah, like, a lot from him on the accounting side.
1: Yeah, real, but just old fashioned and had a certain way of doing things. He wanted to take the measure of the guy doing the advertising, not me, Roy, at the time. I think is what it was and so he I guess he insisted on coming somehow he escaped without being insulted too badly from Roy cuz obviously you don't want to insult the guy with the purse strings so but he convinced us right then and there that he was a yellow pages kind of guy but we convinced him look that that's dying it's going away it has been but he gave me some ideas just based on one statement that he made it's an idea that I've pressed out and and really pushed throughout the year and he just said you know i really like uh, putting our name up there in front of these little kids ballparks you know these little leagues where these kids go out and play baseball and so on Now, his thing was baseball and my thing is i don't care what sport it is you know they can be going over there and throwing rocks at each other for all i care if they you know if they have a uniform they need bought that's you know pennies let's let's go ahead and buy the rock throwing uniforms and maybe some shields while we're at it. Who knows? You know, I've always remembered that conversation about spending money there. My first thought was, well, no, we got to do with this. We can't afford it. And I realized he's not talking about a lot of money. And it led me to doing some pretty big things with some other clients, like Make-A-Wish and really getting behind some of that stuff. We've done some real huge successful things with them. But anyway, eventually James left and went to another company then I ended up becoming a partner and James called me up and James, you, you probably want to take the story over because before he left, you know, there was always the problem of shoulder seasons and there was, you know, about a year and a half before, maybe two years before he left, there was always the thing with shoulder seasons and plumbing and so on and so forth. We were trying to shake that tree one, you know, one day on their visit down to Austin, you know, we were trying to find what can get you in somebody's house and, and what's the lowest price point. And James said, well, drain cleaning and without losing money and without making any money, do it for about a hundred bucks. Well, a hundred bucks doesn't sound good in advertising. So we said, how about 99? He was like, whatever. And I thought we were, okay, well, next message, let's go on. And James looked at me. He said, no. He said, you have to understand I have to now go back because the next morning after our meetings, we would always go to the same breakfast, right? And uh, at, at this one hotel in Austin and James would order this huge buffet and I would have this small amount because I wasn't very big back then. <laughs> uh, and James was. <laughs> well, no, at first I was. At first I was. And then, uh, you know, for the first two years. I didn't I pick the place. I remember ordering a fruit plate and, and one egg. And coffee, so, <laughs> so it's I went not to waffle place house. and salmon is what it was, uh-huh. and we drank uh-huh. coffee. And the thing is that that morning, after the whole long day of the day before, that morning before noon was when all the work would get done. Right, James? Yep. Every bit of planning, what we whatever we had discussed the day before, that's when all the work would get done, and we would set it all into motion. And I'm like, okay, let's go, and James says, no, 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 no. I have to go put all this stuff in place. We're going to do it. Yes. But do you understand this is not going to happen this month? And then I thought, well, he's being a sissy. He's like, dude, this is going to take me six months just to get the whole shop in order and get everything done. And my first thought was, "Hmm, you're being a baby. And then he started explaining all of that. I thought he was going to go back and try to get the investor on board and try to do all this onboard stuff. No, he actually had to go back and literally create a huge system and change how everything was being done to make it fit this new, this new thing. It took him about six months to get it done, to really make it successful before he was ready to say, okay, pull the trigger. And we, we could not have predicted no matter what. I mean, the closest prediction we had was James spending all that time getting the company ready. There's no way. I don't know, James. You tell me. There's no way on earth we could have predicted what was going to happen.
2: There's so many questions that I have just based on that, and we have we haven't even talked about what's happened before you and Joe met, and that's really the crux of where things are. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that with Joe's question of we couldn't even predict what was about to happen. We're gonna come back to that, James. Take me back way back
0: where where did you grow up uh so i grew up all over the place but most of those years were spent in phoenix most most of my okay pre-college days were spent in phoenix what was that like uh it was a unusual mix and i didn't realize till later that it was very uncommon so i had these uh the side of the family that came from coal country in West Virginia to uh, a stepfather, one of the smartest, most mechanical guys uh, I've ever known who decided he was going to, his his life dream was to form companies. So we got into uh, as a family, we got into things like uh, biofeedback machines, um, isolation tanks, sensory deprivation, uh, a company called Cybervision for professional athletes. I mean he he got into some really unusual stuff. So, <clears throat> you know, and I'm in high school at trade fairs trying to talk people into buying sensory deprivation machines or tanks and explaining what that means and how it'll benefit them and and things like that. You know, I thought that was just kind of normal. And and it ran the gambit of starting out very very low blue collar trying to figure it out as a family to having great success to losing that and going back to being very very poor so it was you know i can remember working working with my stepfather fixing the car because you know we're not going to take it to the shop i can remember when he was a mechanic fixing other people's cars to him driving you know the uh, Chrysler cordova with the Corinthian leather and not wanting to put gas in his own car because that's how he made it so he was getting full serve to going back to him and I going out and painting people's houses in the in the summertime so I have to give him credit because he gave me a great mechanical aptitude and he was he was gonna he was gonna get there he was gonna drive it I mean this is a guy now that that holds multiple patents. Uh, He just does a lot in anything he does. He also didn't believe in, you're going to get an allowance. You're, you're going to get paid to do work. So on the weekends, I should back up there. So every year we would sell a house. Wherever we were living, we would sell it, buy a new repo, fix it up, which ran the gambit, right? From doing the plumbing work, doing counter work, remodeling the kitchen, uh, and closing a carport to a garage, redoing the landscaping. I got to learn a lot from them. Painful learning process when all you want to do is jump on your big wheel and run down, right? Digging holes for fence posts in the front yard was not really my idea of fun, but it did, right. it did teach me a, a great work ethic. And it taught me a love for how do things work. Um, so that led me to doing stuff that may have aggravated him a little bit. Um, you know, he'd come home and TV would be disassembled or, uh, when they came out with remote controls, it would be in pieces on the, on the table. But uh, yeah that's that's where I sort of got my horizontal trade strength if you will I was coming up that way sure that is a
2: different upbringing than than most you would have missed kids. right most kids will be taught by their parents. Uh, go out and get a job at the local grocery store, bag groceries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Did you ever have any one of those kinds of a jobs growing up, or was it always in this kind of you are a an entrepreneur from the word go with your stepfather? Uh,
0: it was a mix. Um, I mean, when I was younger, it was hey, if you if you want money, you go outside the house and go get it. You don't. You're you're diluting what the family has. So you need to go out and figure that out. So it was wash cars, cut grass, those types of things. um, Until I would get myself in trouble, which was normally I would try and do something that nobody quite understood. Like I decided I wanted to to, uh, be a cryptologist. So I made all these flyers, not knowing that it's not something that most people need. And I distributed them through the entire neighborhood. And the phone starts ringing with all these people like, what is a cryptologist? And my mom's like, what did you do? You, you had to do something. <laughs> and I was sure that it was going to be the next big thing. You know, I'm going to go and decode all these messages and uh, and they'll, uh-huh. they'll be happy. I mean, if you wanted a personal code design, I was going to be the guy. Um, so that led up into... You know, you you are going to work. And at the point when I decided sandblasting houses in the summer uh, really wasn't a lot of fun in Phoenix at 115, it was, well, that's fine. Go get a job. And that led me to go bag groceries at a grocery store, which was, yeah, not as much fun as sandblasting houses. But it paid more than $2 a day in free lunch. Sure. Yep, that makes sense. When you were
2: when you were growing up, um, there there's a big entrepreneurial spirit that you, you learned about. What was the family dynamic like uh, with with a stepdad and the mom and brothers and sisters and dog and fish and all that?
0: Uh, so my mom only had me; she got lucky because two of me would have probably did her in Uh, (laughs) said every mom with one son. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I had, I, I was hyperactive extreme. You know, now they call it ADHD and, and all of these things, but I had so much energy. It was like, I, I would get up, go to school Friday morning and I wouldn't go back to bed until Sunday night. She could not get babysitters. She could not get people to, like, come and deal with me because I would just drive them to sleep deprivation and and doing insane things. I like to experiment with everything, right? I was dissecting lizards and putting them in the freezer, and she's like, what are you doing? You know, just really kind of off-the-wall stuff. Um, So it was basically the three of us for the most of the time, and I went and lived with my grandmothers off and on as uh, she needed a break from me is the best way I could put it. Um, and from my grandmother, I learned the, the discipline of the financial piece. I mean, she, she had an eight, eighth grade degree and that's it. That's where her education stopped. But she taught me so much about how to make sure that you don't through the ups and downs that you don't end up so desperate that you dig yourself a deeper hole. Um, You know, it's not what you make, it's what you save. You know, she had these, you know, everybody in West Virginia, Kentucky, they all have these sayings for everything. And that's what I grew up with was her giving me this sort of backwoods wisdom to the ups and downs that I felt in the household as it became boom or bust, right? Either my dad was going to make it really big or he was just going to crash and burn. And it was, you know, this sort of wave thing that you know I didn't know what was going on with it and she was that steady no, this is how you do it, right? That was sort of the dynamic. Very good I, it I, I me take of full blame K- for K- all K- the craziness, but to my mom, the devil made me do
1: it. So <laughs> 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 that, that reminds me of Tom Casey saying about old folks know about money. <laughs> you know. Those old folks they knew about money. <laughs>
2: True story. So that leads me up to you You had this, for, look, looking back, it was an abnormal thing happening. You've got this multi-talented stepdad who was going to make it big or he was going to crash and burn trying. And you're seeing that as normal. And you're getting to the point now in life where getting out of high school, looking at college, looking at careers. What was that like?
0: Uh, it, it was a non-starter. Um, by time I got to, I think my junior year, my mom and my stepdad were sort of on again, off again. It was it was really getting to the point where she was pretty much done with the whole feast or famine type thing, and mm-hmm. I just I'd always wanted to go in the military. I knew I was going to go in the military. I just didn't know where, when, and quite how to get there and uh it it got to the point that i was refusing scholarships because i couldn't afford everything other than the tuition you know my family couldn't afford it so we went from don't worry you're going to college just keep your grades up in high school to it's not happening you need to figure it out and uh let's just say it went to a really uh more unhealthy dynamic not because of finances per se but how they dealt with it and how they dealt with it, you know, while I was there, it was like, Hey, you're 16. You need to figure it out on your own. Now go figure out how to support yourself. You got a bed, but if you want to eat, you better go figure that out. If you want anything above that, you better go figure it out. So at 17, uh, I talked my mom into letting me emancipate myself. And I went to the Marine Corps with that. I had to do a lot of negotiating. Uh, I'd been in ROTC in high school, so I had to talk. My ROTC instructor into signing a certificate so I could get the extra rank to get the extra pay. So even before I went in, I was like, "Okay, how do I work this system within the the guidelines that are set? Maybe a few that weren't set to maximize my rank going in because I want to go to boot camp making more than everybody else. I don't want to just go to boot camp. I want to go and make more money than everybody else at seventeen, right? That was certainly a key change in my life because. I realized that everybody else in boot camp, you know, the first night, all of us are Marines here, right? That first night was rough. And I'm sitting there going, These guys are gonna feed me? I'm getting paid right now. <laughs> so I, I I'm tired, right? I'm trying to fall asleep, and I'm like, okay, how much am I making per hour? What when do I get paid? <laughs> right? I got no hair, I'm skinny as a rail, and I hear guys crying and You know, like, oh, my God, what did I do? And I'm like, this is great. All I did was cut my hair off. (laughs) So, you know, most people's perception of boot camp was, you know, I've heard stories of people losing all their toenails because they were nervous. And drill instructor would come laugh. And uh, my nickname of boot camp ended up being Smiley because I was like, man, you could yell at me all you want, but you're paying me to yell at me. And I just start smiling and. Next thing you know, I'd be getting, uh, extra incentive to, to not show my pearly white. Uh, it sounds like a quarter deck story, right? Yeah. There. Oh, I had a few, I'm <laughs> sure we all did, but it did give me that, that perception that we're all in the same place. We're all going through the same thing. Some of them are having a tough time with it. They're fighting against themselves instead of going, you know, I chose this. Let me figure out how to make it work. Let me figure out what the playing field looks like, what are the rules of the game, how do I sort of excel through that and change what's going on in my head, the story I'm telling myself, to something that's going to reinforce accelerating it as opposed to bringing me down. I am fascinated of something that you
2: said about a minute ago. Knowing how to work the system. And Joe alluded to this earlier in our conversation is that you're a, a guy that thinks in systems. Uh, that's actually a book that my smarter than me wife read about a year ago. And the way how she hands it off to a uh, bear of very little brain like myself is when you have a system that has input and output, the key is to learn how to make that output feed back into your input. And that, for me, I could grasp. But I want to kind of get your perspective on knowing how to work the system and how that has followed you from an early age through your life.
0: Maybe it's because of ADHD that I sit and my brain is always going, right? I have to distract my brain to like get to a a calm place. It became like, I don't want to say beautiful mind because I think that guy was crazy in the movie, but something similar to that. Like even if you don't have a system, you have a system. You're just not recognizing that you have a system. That system could be in rules. That could be in just regular normal daily habits, but there is a system. So five to nine years before I met Joe, I came to this one conclusion. If I take a really good system, that's gotta have some flexibility in it. You gotta be able to change it. You can't just let it stay status quo. And take really good people, put them together and let them fly. They do really great things. A good person with a crappy system will end up looking for another job. You frustrate them, they get aggravated. And I knew this because that's what had happened to me. So I wouldn't say that I'm a systems person for the sake of just wanting to do systems. It's a business necessity that I enjoy doing sometimes. Otherwise, I don't like going down the rabbit hole and spending my whole life there, right? Because I have to shut off sort of a creative part of my brain to be able to focus on it. But once it's done and we're in the mode of tweaking it and you see the success of it, that gets me excited, right? I mean, it wasn't the six months prior to the ad that got me excited. I knew I needed to do that. And it took a lot of work, and I had to talk a lot of people into buying into that, that sort of vision, including the owners of the company. But, man, when it started flying, it was like, yeah, we're doing a mic drop right about now. And that's, that's what made it worth it. But, yes, I do, I do and respect systems because they have the ability to push out the efficiency you need and the metrics that you're looking for, right? We're all KPI-driven, so much PE money into our space now. Everybody's about KPIs. If you want KPIs to improve, there's all these subsets of, of things that need to happen to get you there.
1: I wouldn't call him a systems guy that at all, actually. You did. You no. did. It was no. 20 no. minutes ago. He did. He totally silent. <laughs> <died. laughs> and it's okay, Joe. But I, You've called me worse. No, re- I do call you worse. I mean, I did call you. I have. Anyway, you need to rewind the tape and listen to what I actually said we he is an expert at understanding systems. If you because you can define it not by calling him a systems guy. He's a systems exploiter. That's what I said.
0: Well, I didn't hear explicit the part where I drop in his no. words. Yeah. yeah. No, I yeah. Okay. It's okay. So look, <laughs> I, I
1: go back and rewind the damn tape. I'm telling you. I see I, it. I, I define back. right about now. Of what you I define. Systems explo- exploitation by ex- describing what he does. I did not say he's a systems guy. Now he is an expert at understanding systems. James is not a guy who operates within these confines. He's a guy who jumps into those confines and destroys whatever's in there and comes out like, look what I got. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That is fun sometimes. And yes, sometimes
0: you have to do that.
2: I think it's fair to clarify that if you come into a place and there is a quote unquote system in place that is not giving the results that it should, that having the flexibility to look at it from a different angle, flip it upside down, inside out, forwards and backwards and understanding that, okay, if we do these things, we can get these other results that we're after. And that's kind of where I get the idea. That's what Joe was describing James as. Is that more effective, Joe?
1: Yes, that's a more accurate description. Try to try to be a little like, you know, be accurate in, in your descriptions and and in your hearings as a matter of fact of what's actually being said. Uh-huh.
2: Let me bring us back to where we put the pin in and let's uh let's ask about the idea that all right, we're going to do this thing. It six months to do. But boy, when we hit that mark, we didn't know what to expect.
0: What was that like, James? I I think it was Joe's really referring to all the outsiders not knowing what to expect. And that was trying to overcome that ask of, hey, stop frittering away the money into the yellow pages. We need to redirect that and we need to get in front of these year over year declines in what we were getting at yellow pages at the time. This isn't a dig at an older generation, but... I think I was lucky to to grow up when I did because I got to see limited technology. And then by the time I got to high school, I could take computer programming. I could take all of this stuff that really, at a young age, went, oh, technology is where things are going. So I think I had a little bit more of a unique perception on that than the guy that was 172 years old. As Joe would talk about the radio, pay-per-click was really really starting to get more and more on the lips of everybody in our industry. It it was already in other industries, but in contracting, it was, wow, this is really weird. We're trying to wrap our minds around it. And there were were starting to be a lot of front front runners in that. Our thought was, hey, it's really great that if someone has a problem, they go to the computer and they do a search. I said, you know what would be even better is if they know our name before they go to the computer. They have some familiarity. Right? And that's where Joe came in and, and the academy of, well, we can do that. Okay, well, if we can do that, then now we got to figure out how do we position ourselves online to optimize when they type in, I have a stoppage or I have a problem. So that solved us getting the call. Well, we were built primarily as a plumbing company that did stoppages. The plumbers didn't like doing them. They were okay at them. They could clear drain, right? They're fully capable of that. But what they didn't want to do was spend the time with the customer. It was beneath them. You know, four years of an apprenticeship to become a plumber, you know, and here you've got me doing drain cleaning work. We started doing meetings in all of our locations. The world's kind of changing. Call count's going down a little bit. You guys are feeling it. I got this idea. I want to know what you all think. I can go get more calls. So here's my commitment. I will go get you more calls. You are going to start calling me and saying, stop. But you have to learn how to do these things. You can't just go in, look at the kitchen sink and go, oh, you got to stop You put a cable in it, pop it and leave after five minutes. You have to go there as I'm here. I'm going to take care of your whole system and we're going to do all this stuff. So out of this, we started doing role playing, video role playing. We solidified a system for how we would coach. We changed our entire bonus structure of the company for our management team. Uh, We put together a drain class that included how does a jetter work? What does it look like? We were buying basilic glass drain lines so that they could actually see how a jetter travels through the system, what it does when there's a hard stoppage versus a soft stoppage. How does it feel? All of those kind of things. And we very quickly uh, started a drain department, right? So we went from not really having sewer cameras to, Now we have sewer cameras. Now we have more advanced equipment. Now we're going to dispatch differently. And to uh, 15-year senior plumbers that didn't want to do it, it's like, no problem. I'm going to send you two water heater calls, and here's your process for that. And here's your process for all the rest of it. You want to be happy and not take a drain call? This is going to
1: help solve that. That was a very quick statement of that, wasn't it? The one thing that I want to point out that's really, really important you did not say that you got rid of plumbers or moved plumbers aside and went and got a bunch of drain techs. So we did a combination of both. We let the plumber choose. I think it's super important that people understand you changed a whole system without doing that. And I want and now that you've had you know Jesus this many years experience since we started doing that, would you now change it and go get a bunch of drain techs and funnel it back to the plumbers, or would you do it exactly the way that you did it? Part of the call it savings, that I went
0: after was our training budget. So yes, we did create drain techs, but what we did is we created them through our apprentice program. So it became a path to further your plumbing training. So I got to steal a little bit of money. I never said this to you, Joe, because you would have kept hounding me to go save money somewhere else. We took some of that training budget, and we got to get to a productive status with the drain guys quicker. So we revamped our apprenticeship program that included building on drains as one system in plumbing. I love that. Here's your here's your step. You're going to be a drain cleaner. Yeah. Then we're going to train you to be a potable water plumber. Then we're going to teach gas lines. Then we're going to take you through this. But four days out of the week, they were out generating revenue. One day a week, they went back to school and learned the next steps. So we changed our whole career path to that as well.
1: The reason I love what you're talking about right now is because there's going to be people who are starting apprenticeship programs in their own company or who have those apprenticeship programs in their own company, and they're going to take and look at that and go, you know what? That's a fantastic idea. I don't have to take a guy off and move this person over here and and go replace these people. I literally have this program, and I don't need a guy who's been doing drain techs for 50 years and then decides he's going to drag up tomorrow and be gone. I got a guy down here who's learning and this is going to be part of his process. And I think that's hugely important to this industry to understand because I don't really see anybody doing it that way. And it's important to understand that once we did this and we talked about it publicly to people, and then James went to next or wherever he went and told other people about it, this thing went, Whoa! I mean, it caught wild freaking fire. Once it took off, everybody, what they heard was one thing. Charge this, advertise it, win. They missed a huge component of
0: that, which was, look, I, I love radio. I love what it does. I love how you can brand off of that. But let's face it. People now go to their computer or their phone and they're going to do a search and they're going to search for certain things and, you know, where you come up in the rankings and Google this and Google that. and That's all great. But what I do know is if you take the radio and you get the right strategy online, you increase the amount of results you're gonna get from that. And not just in calls coming in, but the ability of the consumer already having trust in the brand by the time they get to that point. And then by the time the tech gets there, you know, if they experience hearing the spots, seeing you online, seeing whatever story they want to go down in your website, and the technician shows up, and you've done everything right up to that point, you've increased that value bucket or that trust bucket with the customer exponentially over someone else.
1: But if you're not prepared for the rest of it. Yeah. And the most important key component that James told me, sit back and wait. And I just had to sit there. And I mean, I'd call him every week. You ready? You ready? You ready? James Did I, not? but I think it's important to note. That's just one thing that James brought to this whole next star table.
0: I think it was more PSI than next Nexstar at that point.
1: But there, there were so many things before that that people just don't understand. When I talk about the guy in the back room pulling the strings, this is it. This is the dude that made all the plumbing shit happen all over the world.
2: I don't know about that. James, as a business owner, going through growth, having obstacles, you lay your head down at night. Sometimes the brain doesn't shut off. Tell me about those sleepless nights.
0: Well, it's not something that, that I normally have. Just only because probably the ADHD thing, right? You you start to structure your brain to know, hey, you you need to click off. Like go away. Get out so I can sleep. Um because you know, preparation is key, and if I'm sleeping 2 hours a night, I'm not going to be any good to anybody. So, I think I've tamed that beast for the most part of hey, the car is on fire. We need to fix it tomorrow. Great. Going to bed take care of it in the morning. That's just kind of how I've put that process in place for my brain to not drive me totally insane. The things that, you know, when, when I get up and I take a shower that pop into my head is where I have that sort of sleepless moments, right? That's where everything else is out. There's some calm and it just starts rushing in. And the things that filter to the top is always, Hey, we're not doing enough activity. That's going to allow everybody downstream to make a good living because the first thing I always want to make sure of is that anybody that gets into our industry is going to make a good living doing it. I mean, the trade has been awesome to me. I enjoy being in the trade. I love the trade, but I want to make sure that all the people coming in new to it are also making good money along their career path. Because if they don't, when I'm 90 and I need someone to come replace whatever is broken in my house and I can't do it anymore I need somebody I can call and trust that they're going to do it the right way and not cause me grief. So I always think of the installers. I always think of the people that are going out on the larger jobs. Where are they? Are they sitting around eating donuts, drinking coffee? Or are they getting as much work as they can handle? And that's sort of my shotgun test of what are we doing? Tech activity could always happen, right? Tech's going and running service calls there's always gonna be that activity and demand coming in with that result of the installers being busy and you can tell by the pace that they walk through the building if they're busy or not to how long did they sit and drink their coffee and all those kind of things. That that to me is like if they're all out running and they're busy, the whole company's humming. That keeps me from having those sleepless nights. If I see it or I hear a good plan that we we may have a lull, but we've got a good plan around it, then I'm I'm not not likely to lose sleep about it. But I do think about it a lot.
2: All right. So how about your biggest success? What stands out to you on a,
0: an intimately personal level? So I'll give you a story. My family's from the South, so we do stories. The, the most fulfilling moment was that I've had the longest time since that moment was we, we had a warehouse guy really couldn't speak English, became an installer and he was, I wouldn't say struggling, but it was frustrating a little bit. So between my Spanglish and his broken English, right? We, we would talk. So this guy went from an installer, multiple trades. Cause at the time we did plumbing, heating, uh, air conditioning, electrical. And when I came through my apprenticeship, you had to do multiple trades. So, I started talking to him about it, how he could learn different things. And he wanted to be busy in the field so he could learn. If he was in the office, he wasn't learning. You recognize that. So, flash forward a few years, and he was a shit hot installer. Maybe this guy could go out, do a full system, no problem. You want a new sewer? He could take care of it from house to street, right? I mean, he really became shit hot. And his English was improving. He was taking night school to better at speaking english because he'd asked me how what do i have to do to become a technician i said well you got to be able to write english you got to be able to write a contract you got to be able to communicate to a customer and he took that very seriously he was still an installer but he was multi-trade one of the most in-demand installers he drives in in a bmw yeah his Billable hour rate, number of hours that he actually spent on the job paying for himself doing work for the customer as opposed to unproductive time, was in the 90s. Now, he bought a used BMW, but that's okay. He bought a BMW, he's like, hey, look at this, right? Great feeling. That's That's the kind of thing I like because he loved the trade, not just because of the money, but he recognized if I get good at it and had pride in being good at it, that the money will follow it does, You can't, can't be opposite. It can't be I'm terrible at the trade, pay me a lot of money and I'll go goof up your system, right? You got to have some expertise that you're offering. That's hopefully better than your competition, right? There has to be something that's better there. So flash forward a few more years. Now he's a technician became the top producing technician in his branch. Then he became the top producing technician in the company now he owns his own company and he's tearing it up and i mean it doesn't get much better than that this is over a course of probably 25 years of of just watching him i bumped into him at a trade show you know and he runs up and gives me a hug and it's like he went from living with 12 roommates to now owning a house in california driving a brand new beamer i get a kick out of that and I, i get a kick out of it on the management side too because You know, I don't want to say just you got to develop your technical people, because that's not accurate. You know, in that process of us doing a conversion on what we were really going for, from the marketing side, we had to change the perception of everyone, from the assistant managers at the branch all the way through our board. You know, they weren't going to let me write seven-figure checks without kind of understanding what we were going after. I was really thankful that they allowed me to at one point, they finally just said, yeah, 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 just go do it. We're tired of hearing you go do it and see what happened. And i got to point out this part. There was this timing that was fortuitous for us in that we did most of this switchover before the Great Recession. So while most companies in the Great Recession were struggling, we started setting sales records. We didn't know the recession was coming. We had no clue, right? But everything that we had done, all that groundwork, both on the marketing side, the online side, to the the training and the development, once we got into the Great Recession, we made some slight pivots and just blew out all sales records. I mean, we were doing way better than a lot of my friends that were at other companies. That makes it worth it because I knew all my friends that worked with me at the company were all going to make it through you know, fairly unscathed as opposed to guys that were at other companies and, and really having a tough time of it.
1: James, on a scale of one to 10, getting that pushed through, how difficult was it? Not, not by, by putting the operation together, but pushing it through everybody else. It was
0: a combination of brute force and sales tactics, I mean, I could. So the 172 year old guy that, that you're referring to, uh, my office was on the second floor, and at one point, and he was a green beret. I mean, he was no slouch, right? He he certainly had the bull in him. The conversation went to who could throw who down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> to Mike's office across the hall, and he he hears all of this noise, and it's you know kind of us just going at it. He walks in, he sits <laughs> down, and he sits there for about three minutes. He doesn't say anything. He gets up and he leaves. It was like he wasn't even there. We're still going at it. We're trying to hash through it. I think it made it better being ha- having someone that we could do that. But it was also uh, frustrating for him and frustrating for me a little bit. To that end, I needed to up my game in being able to speak to financial people so that I could shortcut – what I knew operationally needed to happen to make him understand on the financial side, just take a Xanax and hang on, buddy. And the one thing I think that was key for me is I knew I knew if we ran that ad and we didn't change how we were going to run those types of calls and perform on them and up our game, it was it would have been a waste of money. It wasn't a case of, could we get the calls? It was a case of, could we perform on the calls? I mean, that was the biggest lesson I learned from that. If you're going to make a shift in your advertising, everybody needs to know why. Everybody from the call center through the lowliest apprentice you've got that just started with the company needs to know what we're doing, why we do it, and how we do it. That was the fun part. Actually, the fun part was getting the leadership to agree to it because that took longer
1: than the execution of the rest of it. If you had to uh, advise a young guy with a company, or a young lady with a company, on, on what to not bother wasting money on? I would say stop
0: wasting money trying to be the top dog in online everywhere. Get strategic. Especially in California, I saw a lot of companies that would start up, and they would make this huge, huge footprint. Right, In fact, there was just a company that went out there from uh, – he's based in Phoenix – went into California and he did everything from San Diego to big bear inland. And he wanted to be everywhere doing everything. And really what happened is he increased his windshield time. Uh, he didn't pay attention to the population he had. He used online to pay Google so they could go buy a new super yacht and didn't strategically listen to the people that were advising him on. Don't try to do that. You're, you're trying to chew this big horse that you can't fulfill. So Google's not your friend. Anybody that says pay-per-click, they're not your friend. They're going to steer you in the direction of where they make money. So you've got to have a decent understanding of how that works. Not just rely on them, get some secondary research or talk to another person that's done it in our space because that's a quick way to spend a lot of money and get a terrible result. Once you get to the size where you think you can branch out to other things or let's just say that you're 10 15 million dollar company and you're trying to broaden that out um if i if i remember there was a station that we bought in orange county that their footprint was pretty much over orange county it bled into la county a little bit but it was pretty predominant in in orange county and there was a whole big debate you know should we take it? It doesn't have enough coverage and all of this. But it really had some kind of following in Orange County. So we sort of started there, changing the message and, and mapping out what we were going to have to do with it. And it grew. So don't, don't go by everything. Condense it a little bit. There's nothing wrong with shrinking down your footprint as long as you keep your population in line. And then do it over and over and over and over again. Uh, something you guys taught me extremely well is most marketing people, especially in radio or even in online, they get bored with their own stuff, right? I can't tell you how many times the the uh, 172 year old man that's stuck in my head would call me up and go, Hey, you guys need to change radio spot. I'm hearing it too much. I'm like, you need to go back to making income statements and let us fly. But at that point, we'd already ramping it up before I got that cocky. And it was amazing to me that so many people would jump into the space and online and they could figure out what we were doing. To that point, I mean, we were getting press releases from people that were following the president around that just saw our truck drive by and heard us on the radio. And they're writing about presidential candidates and inserting our company name in it. They're not even from L.A. I mean, that's, that's the depth this thing went. And it was... It was awesome to see. The other thing I'll reiterate is you don't let the campaign fly till you've got thumbs up from everybody in your company that everybody understands the why, how their piece is so important to it, and how they're going to be measured to it. Once you have that, you let that radio, you let that billboard, you let that paper click just mingle up. Yellow page ad. Get a good night's <laughs> rest. No, not yellow page ad. <laughs> it's a necessary evil sometimes, but I don't understand it. James,
2: how about a book or podcast, audiobook with your time? What are you currently
0: invested in? I can't say that I'm invested in any one podcast. I tend to as my mind says no, go over there and check out that rabbit hole then i'll go I'll go check that out. Book I have never met a book that i I would not read reading though I, I have to be careful so the one thing. That can make me lose sleep at night, I guess, is if I start reading a book, whatever it is, and it grabs my interest, I will not stop reading that book until I'm done. I'll have like three or four books that I'm kind of reading at the same time, right? I'll have a book on my nightstand that is interesting, but it's not gonna be so interesting to keep me awake all night. I have my vacation book where I'm saying hey i'm not gonna I'm not gonna read uh this type of book. I want to read something fun to you know, hey, I want to deep dive into this process, right? I want, to, I want to read about what this business process is and sort of dive into that.
2: James, this has been a tremendous ride all the way from stop wasting your time trying to be the top dog online everywhere. If you're going to make a shift, then everybody in the organization needs to know why. Changing whole career paths, and all the way back to family time, spending most days before college in Phoenix. As we wrap up, thank you very, very much for your time spent with us today. And the last question would be, if you had one piece of advice to give
0: 21-year-old you, what would it be? Uh, You know, that's kind of butterfly effect. If I'd have gone back, if I go back and change any of that, would I still be here? Probably. I mean, I knew when I got hired as an apprentice, I was going to run that company. That's how cocky I was at that age. Uh, I mean, I, I, this was verified with a plumber that I worked with as an apprentice. And then later is uh, when I (laughs) was the VP goes, I remember the day you were an apprentice and you said that I needed to be nice to you because you're going to run this company. So I, I don't know if I, I would change any one thing because I think all the benefits of some of the pain would be, uh, led me to a different path. And it had its ups and downs, had a lot of rough patches. It wasn't like all just, oh, hey, we'll just do this. But I've always had fun doing it and put me in a happy space with my family and my kids. Uh, the one thing I would, I would give myself though, would do a better work-life balance. Get, get better at understanding that you need to rein in the squirrel hunting a little bit. Yeah, you want to solve all these problems, but, you know, go, go spend that extra hour doing something with the family. Because in my 20s, it was more about, no, I need to race. I need to race. I need to go. On this episode, James Thompson, a.k.a. not the systems guy. Find more info at primedincome.com.
1: He is an expert at understanding systems. All right, Evan, turn the recording off.